Episode 3, Dead of Night. We review the latest twists and turns in Tortured Miracle Day. I'm Keller Woodbridge. And I'm PG Bell. This week we're bringing you a shorter review just because of various real-life intrusions keeping us a bit busy. We'll be back with a full commentary on episode for next week, all being well, but we hope we'll be able to give you a entertaining discussion in condensed form. We'll do our best. <laughs> yeah, what, what have you thought of this week's episode? Uh, well, the first thing that becomes immediately apparent on watching it is that the pace has picked up again an awful lot since the second episode where mm-hmm. everyone just sort of was stuck in a single set talking. Um, and that's good. I mean, they're off to a flying start. Um, it still doesn't quite live up to the promise of that first episode, though. It's not quite making the most of its story. It's not quite making the most of its characters. Um, I found the um, the constant comparison of British and American English that they used as a running gag really, really grated. Mm. Uh, really, are there any British viewers who don't know that the Americans call trousers pants and crisps chips and vice versa? Um, but <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> that's a completely <laughs> random criticism to come out with off, off the top of my head. I mean, this 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 of course marks. Uh, the arrival of Jane Espenson as oh, a yes. writer, which which is big news. Uh, and I remember when the uh, series was in pre-production and they announced that Jane Espenson mm-hmm. was on board, I got very excited because I'm, I'm quite a, f- a fan of her work. Um, so what else has she done? Not, she's done. Well, she cut so familiar. She she cut her teeth very early on um, by writing an episode of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Uh, and oh, right. Ronald D. Moore was one of the producers or executive producer. Um, and of course, he went on uh, to reboot yeah. Battlestar Galactica, which she played a big part in. And she did more and more work on that as a series. Yeah, as a big, big fan of BSG. Yes, absolutely. And the final season as well, she wrote some of the best episodes of that, all the mm-hmm. bits um, revolving around the mutiny sequence in uh, season four, oh, yeah. uh, or five, depending on yeah, how you're counting it. And she ended up as showrunner on the spin off. Uh, Caprica, of course. But before that, she'd written an awful lot for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She wrote an episode of Firefly, so she's uh, uh, quite tight with Joss Whedon. Excellent. So a very good pedigree to have on the show. Yeah, um, I I thought this definitely was taking things in the right direction with Torchwood actually getting on and investigating mm. uh, the miracle, which uh, had been uh, the weakness of the second episode was that the whole them being in fight and that whole sequence kept them at a remove from the miracle and its consequences. Yes. Whereas uh, here it's much more in the action and we're getting mm. more of a sense of them coming together as a team as Rex and Esther are thrown together with Gwen and Jack. Yeah, there's there's no preamble at all, is there? They're already on the run. Yes. Um, and their fugitive sounds things start. Uh, although we've, men- we've mentioned... Uh, the problems of episode two. I, I've actually traced them back to a mistake made in episode one in terms of plot point, and that's that they had Jack already on the ground in mm. America investigating the miracle, and then towards the end of the episode they remove him from that and take him to Wales, 
only to bundle him back on a plane back across the Atlantic yeah. in the opposite direction, which uh, was a huge mistake considering that all he really did in Wales was have a couple of you know, panoramic hero shots with him and a machine mm. gun. He didn't have any real impact on the drama at all. I think it would have been well, far, it- far better to have him still in America, still investigating through episode two while Gwen is flown over, keep the two, their two storylines separate and then have the big reunion at the end of the second episode. Now, I understand why mm. they wanted to have it there in, up front in episode one, of course, but, uh, I, I it think, just dragged. I don't think having Captain Jack coming over to the UK was the problem. I think having the whole drawn out sequence on the plane, you could have cut that out, have, have maybe, one or two scenes uh, of them on the plane, mm. uh, but bring forward them arriving in America, discovering they've been set up to the beginning of episode two. You could have dispensed with most of the torturous element of the the plot. You could have just cut across the Atlantic yes. in the same way as uh, you did in episode one. You didn't have the whole flight taking an entire episode you could have done uh much the same mm. uh coming back and sped the plot uh up considerably and i sort of understand why they did it sort of gave um chance for uh rex to see the tortured team uh in action and to realize that uh they do have something to offer so yes. that um when it does come to the end uh the decision to uh set them free to sort of basically throw in his lot with them in effect mm. um uh does uh you've had some build up to that but yeah I, I do think that the second episode uh didn't quite work in the uh for form that it did uh so yeah, but this was bringing forward some interesting stuff. Uh, again, you've got a lot of the more interesting bits uh, not involving uh, Torchwood. Yes, it, it, the, the show does seem to be far more confident when it's dealing with the impact of Miracle Day, particularly mm. with uh, Dr. Juarez and Oswald Danes and yeah. the media circus that's whipping, whipping up around him. It seems far more interested in that than it does in the actual Torchwood team itself mm. and their investigation. Though it has begun to bring those uh, together a bit more and mm. the scene with uh, Jack and Oswald at the end, now that's uh, very yes. good at showing just how unpleasant a character Oswald is. That's true. Uh, although I don't entirely buy the way he's become the... Uh, sp- an official spokesman for FICOR, it seems very. He's, 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 an, he's an outs, he's left field choice. Shall <laughs> yeah. <we say. laughs> um, I wonder, I don't know, perhaps there will be more to it than we know at this stage, but at the moment it does seem very, very odd. Yes, given that they've obviously hired uh, an incredibly good PR person, you'd think she would have advised them a little more, uh, <laughs> yeah, a, a little more in depth. 
on the... Yeah, p- p- perhaps the child uh, rapist and murderer isn't the person you want uh, endorsing you on yeah. national television. Just because they've been trending on Twitter for 24 hours doesn't necessarily make them the best Yeah, it, it, does, it does seem uh, to have a slight preoccupation with uh, Twitter. It seems that every time they have a, a new sequence, it'll be mentioned, mentioned on, on, on there. I, I, I put that down to Russell T. Davis liking to... Yeah, he does like to put as many contemporary references yeah. and, you know, he he doesn't like to look as media savvy as he, as he can. And Jane Espenson is on Twitter and um, mm, live, live tweeting with the last couple of episodes. Oh, was she? Oh, yeah. I missed that. Um, uh, yeah, so it's certainly courting the Twitter audience mm. in, in that way. And of course, you can find us on Twitter, don't forget, at Impossible Pod. So if you're not following us already, please do. Yes, send us a tweet. Yeah, and I, I do, sh- sh- I should just give a shout out. We, we haven't been overly kind to John Barrowman in previous weeks. Mm. Um, and I was dreading the, the, the moment when he and Bill Pullman went toe to toe because Bill Pullman, obviously quite an established actor and quite yeah. a screen presence. And I was wondering how, John Barrowman would, you know, compare uh, directly there on screen at the same time. Um, But he held his own, and it it was a good scene, and it did marry the two threads together very well. It's interesting that it was just Jack acting alone, Mm. and the rest of the Torchwood team were really (laughs) null and void at that point. They, They were sitting around, from what I recall, in yet another grungy, disused building filled with laptop computers, which appears to be... Um, st- Torchwood stock in trade now, because they did it in was it The Sound of Drums they did it in uh, Children of Earth mm. in tra- and I can see why they're doing it because once again they're on the run they're fugitives they need to access government systems through yes. their super duper wa- uh, laptops which uh, oh, I assume are enhanced with alien text because they've got a slightly fancier <laughs> background wallpaper than most normal computers but it <laughs> For some reason, uh, and, uh, and I'll have to go back and watch it again and try and find out why, it didn't have the sense of urgency or the sense of mm. threat and danger that was you know, that ran throughout Children of Earth and was, was also there in, um, in The Sound of Drums, the sense that they really are being hunted and they could be found mm. at any moment. They all, they all seemed quite laid back and quite casual about it, the team themselves. They were joking, they were chatting. Yeah. Jack has time to... Leave the investigation without warning and go off cruising gay bars. <laughs> yes. Which, which is also worthy of discussion. I'm sure we'll come to that in a moment. But it, it just didn't mm. feel tense enough for me. And when Esther tried to phone her family, uh, oh, you, you, yes. did, you did feel, um, Rex does have a point here. Yes, uh, why doesn't he just take her phone and, away? Um, it, it seems a bit odd, uh, Jack and Gwen leaping to her defence to quite the extent they did. Yes. Um, and also slightly odd that um, having captured the mobile phone um, at the very start of the episode, oh, yeah. you know, the one that they're using to c- communicate with the mysterious triangle yeah. group, as as they're presumably currently known. It's only when they actually receive a call on the mobile they worry, worry about it being traced. <laughs> it's a mobile phone yeah. that's switched on. They could trace it at any point. I mean, mm. Show me a handset these days that doesn't have GPS as standard. And if I were the mysterious head of a shadowy secret uh, 
conspiracy. I'd actually want to keep quite close tabs on the location of my single mobile phone. <laughs> yeah, the one, you know, my, my only inlet into the CIA. Mm. Um, so carrying it around with them switched on, not the wisest of, <laughs> of moves. And, but again, it's, it's a case of the plot logic taking, um, second, second place to, to, uh, well, to increasingly creaky drama. Mm. That's not to do it, Dan. As you say, it, it was an entertaining episode, and it was enjoyable enough that it, that it held my attention all the way through. But... Yeah. Um, its humour and its cheekiness, as it were, is carrying it, it through an awful lot, but there's only yeah. so far it can yes. uh, get away with that. There, there comes a point at which you have to stop and you know, really ask yourself <laughs> how yes. much it can reasonably get away with. Um, um, which which takes us takes me back to uh, Jack's detour, shall we, yes. shall we call it? Oh yes. Well, uh, both he and Rex get a bit of yes action, indeed. But at least Rex and Doctor Juarez theirs does grow out of the relationship a bit yes. more naturally, and I I could believe that, and it was understandable, and it was actually being used to advance the plot because mm. Rex wants to. Uh, or ends up using wanting to use Doctor Juarez to further his own investigation. Mm. And, and it develops and some nice interplay yeah. between the characters that spills over into next week, as well as we'll get to in subsequent podcasts. Jack seemed far more shoehorned in. Mm-hmm. That didn't see it because they were literally just walking across the street on their way to something else, doing something else. Jack spots a gay bar and goes, "Oh, hang on." I'll leave you here because I need to have some sex. <laughs> yeah, I have mortal urges now. <laughs> did he not have those urges when he was immortal? I mean, what what was he anto? Chopped liver? <laughs> Seriously, I, it was just odd. I mean, I, I know I could see what they were trying to do with it because they used it as a moment mm. uh, of uh, pathos and of self-recrimination and regret. And Jack phones up Gwen. Oh yeah, drunk. And and you did get uh, the discussion of Yanto, and it's uh, nice having the that, and also the discovery of the warehouse and the bigger on the inside inside. and the out, and it does help tie it together a bit better. I felt yes, but uh, but yes, your larger point. Yeah, my last point was, was for, for a start, and this is another, there's another slight tangent. I wasn't certain when he was phoning Gwen and asking and saying, we're a good team, aren't we? Remember when it was just you and me? Yeah. I wasn't sure if that was a romantic mm. come on or not. In which case, he really needs to pick his moments a little bit. Yes. <laughs> um, cause Jack, you're not gonna win the girl over like that. Hi, I'm drunk in bed with a complete stranger. <laughs> While your husband's not here, let me just, Clumsily come on to um, Yeah, it was yeah, it, it's, it seems. Yeah, I'm I, sure there are ways that they could have worked it into the plot if if they wanted Jack to have a romantic liaison, which which I'm absolutely not against it in any way, shape, or form. There could have been a better build, at least a better introduction. Because mm. um, I, I can sort of see what they were aiming for in terms of trying to show uh, his reaction to becoming. Mortal, but yes, it he was, wants to seize every yes moment that comes to him. But it, yeah, the lack of build-up it it didn't convince uh, at all. Mm. So I think the, the the idea was there, the execution not so mm. much. It undermined Jack slightly as a, as a leader as well, mm. because while the others are all busy working and Rex working, <laughs> yeah, in, in inverted commas, 
But uh, yeah, Gwen and uh, and Esther at least are busily trawling through these ten thousand hits, whatever it was. Trying yeah, to, uh, trying to get to the bottom of what's going on, and Rex is trying to find out more about Ficorp and you know, their links to the drugs and the miracle. Um, and Jack has just abandoned them all to go and have sex. Um, so when he stumbles in the next morning with a hangover, and they've all been there working and yeah, doing their part of the night, and he's you know, slightly headachey and just yeah. trying to be a bit cocky and, a, you know, a little bit charming. Yeah. I, if I were the team, I'd be a lot less accommodating. Um, it undermined his leadership, I, mm. I felt. Yeah. But there we are. <laughs> I just want to touch briefly on a point that Swithin made in, I think it was the our, pod, our commentary for episode one, in that, it, in that the series reminded him very strongly of Flash Forward, mm-hmm. which, of course, was... On last year, starring Alex Kingston um, and uh, was it Joseph Fines? Yeah, yes, so you, the you, other Fines brother. <laughs> I, I saw that. I saw the first episode, but I mm. I didn't carry on because I suspected that it would suffer from heroes or lost syndrome. Um, yes, I I, I I stopped watching not long after you did. I think I caught the the second and part of the third episode. Mm. I think Miracle Day might be falling into the same trap in that it's got a very interesting, very yeah. strong, high concept hook up mm-hmm. front, um, you know, to sell the series on. But it's really just a vehicle for what's proving to be a relatively pedestrian procedural espionage show. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause it hasn't, in terms of the actual investigation and the spy capers, and let's face it, that's ultimately what yes. Torchwood is. It hasn't done anything to distinguish itself, particularly. Mm. It does feel quite run-of-the-mill. Um, and that touches on something that James raised in his review the other week. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens when Torchwood leaves its Cardiff roots behind? Because as flawed as those first two series were, they were at least very distinctive. And they had yeah. a very... No matter how ludicrous the plot came, at least the locations were quite grounded and they had a sense of the everyday. Yeah, it gave it a unique selling point. It's like these um, American procedural dramas, CSI Cardiff, but it's yes. in Cardiff. Yes, and, and in fact, and, that, that was and, one of the lines that was used yes, to exactly. sell it in the very first episode. Uh, wasn't and it? in moving it away, it does raise the question of, well, uh, what's its identity now? <laughs> yes, it's, it's become another spy drama, and, mm. and there are so many... American spy drama set in and around Washington, New York, where have you, that it really needs to do something special within its own storyline, yes. within its own drama, with its own characters to make it stand apart. And I don't think it's done that yet. Yeah, it's, we'll see. <laughs> it still holds some promise for future weeks, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that pans out. Yes. So I think that, that basically covers my thoughts on, on episode three. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's, pretty much uh, similar to uh, my take on it. It's just about holding my interest with a lot of goodwill and with the fact that we're podcasting Mm. it. Uh, But um, it isn't fulfilling the potential either of Children of Earth or of its own first episode, really. Mm. It's Uh, it's lacking a bit of punch, isn't it? Yeah. So hopefully... The slow build will pay off, but uh, it is a slow build at the mm. moment. So, yeah. 
Uh, we'll we'll see how it it develops on on the basis of the second and third episodes. Um, yeah, it's okay, but not as you say, um, distinguishing itself uh, greatly or dramatically. Mm. We'll we'll see how things unfold. Yep. Okay. Uh, well, I think that wraps up uh, thoughts on episode three. Oh yeah, uh, thank you uh, to Aled, otherwise known as a fig leaf of your imagination, who also raised the issue of the uh, shift away from Cardiff uh, on the blog comments. He um, he was saying that one of the things that wasn't resolved was the whole rift in Cardiff or the weevils oh, or anything like that. That just seems to have been ignored and forgotten. Mm, they uh, never seemed quite certain what to do with the rift when they had it, though. No. So, mm. so perhaps it got closed at the same time as the cracks in time in, at yes. the end of uh, Series <laughs> 5 of Doctor Who. Yeah. Perhaps it'll turn up you know, later in this series. I, I have a theory that it might be Jack who actually sent the notification about Torchwood to the CIA in the very first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and later on in the series, he either sends a message back in time or goes back in time himself um, and just has time to put one word uh, into mm-hmm. the into the CIA's network, and that's Torchwood. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and whether there's any connection between uh, Jack, uh, Jack's immortality or former mm-hmm. immortality and what's happened to yes. Earth. Yeah, I mean, my theory is based solely on the fact that they've uh, pointed out the vortex manipulator to us and mm-hmm. they haven't used it yet. So it's got to be coming up later in the series. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so yeah. Let us know uh, your thoughts on episode three. Please leave a comment or uh, tweet us or like us on Facebook. The usual yes. stuff. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Impossible Podcast. For more commentaries plus other science fiction and fantasy reviews and discussions, please visit our website, impossiblepodcasts.blogspot.com, or search for us on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or email us via impossiblepodcasts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.